Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza has been raging full force for more than two months. At the same time, a quieter but just as relentless conflict with Hezbollah continues on the country's northern border with Lebanon. But increasingly, concern and attention has been directed to a third, more distant front. In Yemen, the Houthis, a Shiite Islamist political and military rebel organization, has joined the fray and appears to be intensifying its involvement. In the earlier weeks of the war, the Houthis launched direct and unprecedented attacks on Israel itself using missiles and drones. Over the past week, there have been rocket and missile attacks on commercial vessels from a number of nations in the Red Sea. This has sparked a crisis in international shipping and is threatening to widen Israel's war into a regional and possibly global conflict. A conversation on the Houthis and what their aggression means, coming up. We have two guests here to help puzzle out exactly who the Houthis are, what they're doing, what's motivating them in this conflict, and what the response has been and should be to their aggression. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Yor Guzanski. He's a senior researcher at the Institute for National Security Studies, specializing in Gulf politics and security, and he is a former member of Israel's National Security Council. Thanks for being here, Dr. Guzanski, or should I call you Yoel? Thank you. You can call me Joel. And also joining me is Avi Sharf, Haaretz's editor in charge of national security, cyber, and open source intelligence, who has been covering and tracking events in the Gulf since October 7th. Hi, Avi. Hey, great to be here. Um, before I ask you all the much-needed questions regarding who exactly the Houthis are, what they want, let's start exactly with what they've been up to since the war began on October 7th. Avi, can you tell us the trajectory of their behavior? Since October 7th, um, the Houthis have joined, uh, I guess, a third front in the war, one being Gaza, the other is Hezbollah up north, and the Houthis have joined from the south. Um, about two weeks into the war, uh, was the first salvo. Uh, Houthis started launching uh, ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, um, and UAVs, attack drones, all the way from um, Yemen, which is more than 1,600 kilometers away. You're talking about attacks on Israel, on vessels? Before they started attacking vessels, they were shooting um, ballistic missiles. At Israel. Cruise missiles and drones at Israel. Uh, setting a precedent because um, I mean, while there have been test launches of ballistic missiles for further ranges, this was the first time, I guess, in modern history during war and rage, shooting ballistic missiles that far away. And they've actually managed to reach all the way into Israel. And Israel has downed those ballistic missiles with its aero missile defense system. And U.S. destroyers in the Red Sea have downed um, their drones and their cruise missiles, which were heading into Israel, um, Saudi Arabia also downed one of those missiles, part of like a regional air defense alliance. Um, that was two, three weeks into the war. And then mid-November, they started attacking um, Israeli-owned ships, vessels that were sailing up and down or north and south in the Red Sea. And these vessels, uh, the first one was a vehicle carrier that was traveling south, I think, from Turkey to the Far East. Uh, it's owned by an Israeli shipping uh, magnate, uh, Rami Unger. 
and they've uh, commandeered, they've, they've um, landed on the ship by chopper, by helicopter, and they've hijacked that ship uh, into Hudeda port in Yemen. And since then, they've, they've hit or tried to hit three more Israeli-owned ships. And then later on, they went full ballistic. The past week was a huge spike in their attacks on the shipping lanes in the Red Sea, in the Gulf of Aden. They started attacking just foreign ships that they claim were either heading to Israel or coming from Israel. Um, and that's when, I guess, the whole thing blew up. And now it's the focus of, you know, major attention by the world. And one of the reasons we've got you on this story, um, Avi in particular, is because not everybody is interested in announcing every um, hit or conflict that happens between uh, the Houthis and some of these um, uh, vessels and ships. So you use your open sources in order to uh, to gather information from all kinds of places and not just from announcements. You know, we attacked this ship or our ship was attacked, right? You have to kind of keep your eye on the action in order to understand exactly what's going on. Well, right. First of all, the Houthis themselves uh, declare some of their strikes. Um, and then there's the UK Maritime Trade Organization, which follows everything that's happening there, and it receives reports of incidents, um, and they're usually developing. First, there's an incident, and and and, and they're just um, no- noticing an event and notifying everybody to watch what's happening there, and then details come out, and then you realize a ship was hit, and then CENTCOM or the U.S. Navy. Um, they release further details, and then the ship owners themselves put out statements. And obviously, we can also track these, like we track planes, we can also track the ships, so we can actually see whether those statements are in fact true, where they were heading from, where they were heading to, whether they have made a U-turn, and just like the, the ship that was hit two days ago after it was hit, it immediately did a 180 and went back south. And so we can track those as well. We follow all the events. We keep a running tab, uh, an updated list and map on the website. There have been at least 13 incidents of ships attacked, whether hit or the missiles uh, landed in the vicinity. And there were, I guess, a dozen more incidents where the ships were just hailed by the authorities or the Yemen authorities and called to enter port or whatever. Usually they, um, they just re- reject those calls and continue on. Um, but then you end up with those ships being hit by cruise missiles, drones, and um, another unprecedented event over the weekend. A ship was hit by uh, uh, an Iranian ballistic missile launched by the Houthis. And that's also another first for this war. Yoel, Avi's given us a picture of what they've been doing. For those of us who feel, you know, that we are relatively familiar through the years of conflict with Hamas and with Hezbollah, but the Houthis are a new front, relatively uh, speaking, to those who follow Middle East events. Can you just quickly review for us who the Houthis are and what role they've played in Yemen and in the region leading up to uh, October 7th? One should go back at least 20 years to understand, first of all, a Houthi is a tribe from North Yemen, the, the city of Sada. Uh, they're, they're Shia, but they're Zaidi Shia. A third of, of Yemen population is Shia, but it's not the same school of Shia that Iran is, for example. Since 2004 and gradually, they became from a local guerrilla force that fought uh, against the Yemeni government, the central government of Ali Abdullah Saleh, the Houthi family gradually became a regional force 
And as we see today, even an international force uh, with an international influence because of their strategic location, because of Yemen's strategic location off the coast of the Red Sea and the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, basically a choke point. The Saudis began to intervene in the conflict in Yemen around 2009, 2010, and since then gradually were sucked in into this conflict because it endangered their uh, interests. Remind you that Saudi shares a very long border with Yemen. There's a disagreement between uh, folks who research this subject and myself among them. When exactly did Iran started to help the Houthis and assist the Houthis? And, you know, and, and we all know that, that they enjoy a lot of Iran's assistance, uh, not money-wise, but, but uh, technical assistance for many years, and also Hezbollah assistance. The answer is gradual. It's not, it's not necessarily important if they started in 2010 or in 2005, as the Saudi says. I think Iran took advantage of the Houthis in many ways because of the strategic location that they enjoy, because of their uh, strength inside the Yemeni arena, and because of, of their fight against Iran's rival, regional rival, that is Saudi Arabia. So Iran took advantage of and started to support them. The relation between uh, Iran and the Houthis might be better described as, as some sort of a partnership, a strategic partnership. They have uh, a lot of shared interests, uh, but not all of their interests are shared. I'll give you an example. A year and a half ago, the, the Houthis signed a ceasefire agreement, and perhaps later on this year we'll see a full agreement between the Saudis and, and the Houthis. And Iran didn't like this, uh, this, this agreement so much. Uh, the, the, the Saudis, I'll, again, I'll remind uh, uh, the listeners, the, the Saudis began in March of 2015 their war against the Houthis. It was a seven-year-long war uh, in which the Houthis fired almost on a daily basis uh, UAVs, surface-to-surface uh, -surface missiles, cruise missiles, and Saudi strategic uh, facilities, especially oil facilities inside the kingdom. And they also fired uh, and attacked uh, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, in, in a few instances. The Saudis and, and Emiratis, with a lot of American assistance and British, find it very hard uh, to stop the Houthis' attack and to deter the Houthis. And this is a guerrilla, very sophisticated guerrilla force that have a lot of experience, that have a lot of help from Iran, Quds Force, and, and Hezbollah. I'm talking about around 100,000 soldiers that's all. But they mastered a lot of the techniques of how to not just fire all kinds of uh, missiles, but they also can produce at least the UAVs, at least some of them, inside uh, of Yemen. I'm talking about at least 1,000 missile attack on Saudi Arabia and 300 UAVs attack on Saudi Arabia from 2015 until 2022. What happened in 2022, before they stopped, before the ceasefire, I just want to give you one, uh, one number, which is very interesting and important, I think. 90% of Houthis' attack on Saudi were accurate, were from accurate missiles. 
just to show you how sophisticated they became as a military force. So what do you, I guess, and to the extent other experts and world leaders believe is the reason that they are now so actively engaging in this conflict geographically, you know, relatively far away from them, presumably has nothing to do with Yemen, has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia and the Gulf. I mean, we know that the Houthis aren't big fans of Israel. Apparently the the flag of their movement uh, says in Arabic, um, death to Israel and a curse upon the Jews. So that's not very subtle. But why enter into this? Is this something that is believed to be marching orders from Iran, encouragement from Iran, or just an expression of their own ideology and solidarity with what's going on in Gaza? And and, and they see this as an opportunity. What are the interpretations of their motivations for becoming a third front in this war? All of the above and more. Iran, of course, we know, encouraged them. Iran even said so in, in so many words encourage them, but that's not the only reason. Uh, I think they, they feel uh, they owe Iran something. This is the second reason, because of Iran's and Hezbollah's support, part of the so-called axis uh, in the region. Third, I think they want to show solidarity with the Palestinians. They don't really care about the Palestinians. They're 2,000 kilometers away. They speak a different language. These are Sunni. These are Shia. But supporting the Palestinians, it's a vehicle to gain support in the region. And since they started to attack uh, Israel, they've gained a lot of support, not just regionally, but inside Yemen, they gain a lot of support. Listen, the Houthis are not fond, are not popular inside of Yemen. They are corrupt. They are terrible to the citizens. I've seen them described as the mafia. Uh, it's a good description. Before the Yemen war started in 2015, and even before, Yemen was the poorest Arab country. And there are a lot of poor Arab countries, but this is the poorest. And it's the most populated in the Arabian Peninsula, around 30 million people. Uh, these are very uh, uh, poor people, and their situation is much worse now under the Houthis' uh, uh, regime. Uh, not better. Uh, so using this fight against Israel and supporting the Palestinians, uh, the Houthis hope to gain a lot of support in Yemen and in the region. And unfortunately, they uh, they were right. Uh, another reason I think they are doing what they're doing, not just firing at Israel, but also using the, the choke point that they control, the Bab el-Mandeb, they want to gain this international uh, focus. They want the attention because they want to come to the negotiation, which they're holding right now as they as we speak, with directly with the Saudis, but indirectly with other Arab countries and even with the US on on better terms to end the war in Yemen. What they really want is a bigger stake in Yemen. They don't care about Hamas, the Palestinians, or even Israel, although they they shout and, and uh, death to Israel. They want a bigger stake in the Yemeni government. They want more money. And the Saudis probably promised them more money to pay the salaries, uh, to get more ministers in the in the government. The Houthis' uh, war inside Yemen, the conflict with the central government, started because of their grievances, because of their complaints on how the central government treat them. Uh, by the way, they were 
right in many ways. Uh, so I think by doing that, they want to serve other, they want by attacking Israel, they want to serve other interests. Some of them are internal in Yemen. Avi, from what we've seen on the ground, or rather the sea, in terms of maneuvers responding to the aggression, what have we seen in terms of any kind of response, retaliation, both from Israel or for some of the countries where the, where the ships were attacked? So for the first several weeks, when they were only attacking uh, Israeli-linked or owned ships, this was uh, deemed uh, more of an Israel problem. And we've seen reports in the U.S. that the Biden administration was uh, warning Israel not to retaliate against the Houthis um, for fear of escalating into a regional war. Um, but I guess that has changed over the past week or two when they've started hitting at um, you know just foreign vessels, foreign merchant vessels that have no direct link to Israel. And like Joel said, this is a major chalk point. Tons of um, uh, trade goes through um, the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Right. Most of us remember when the ships were stuck in the Suez Canal, the the huge global ramifications of this. Is this a similar situation? Whereas if trade is very disrupted in this in this strait. Well, over um, the over the weekend, the the biggest uh, shipping firms in the world said they're halting passing through Bab el Mandeb in the Red Sea into Suez Canal. And so now they're on hold. And they have to decide whether they're holding until there's a solution within the next week or two or or whether they start bypassing uh, the entire um, um, African continent. And that will, you know, that's just a huge headache for world shipping. And it's at least another three, four weeks of shipping into Europe and to Mediterranean through all the going all the way around Africa. Um, but now it's a bigger headache for the entire world, and um, I guess we're seeing the U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin heading into the Middle East. I think today, and there were talks of um, you know putting up a new regional alliance of ships to start uh, addressing the Houthi um, threat, just like they did with the Somali pirate uh, threats years ago, uh, which they've managed to contain. But this is a totally different story. They're not they're not out there with AK-47s and RPGs. They're firing advanced Iranian cruise missiles and drones and even ballistic missiles. I've seen the USS Eisenhower carrier strike group being redeployed from the Persian Gulf where it was sent during the early stages of the war. It was redeployed um, just off Yemen right now. Um, and I guess this is um, more of a question for Joel. What what are, you know, I guess it's not only Israeli options. What are the world global forces? What are their options against the Houthis? Specifically because Joel said they're, they're, they're you know, the, the Saudis and, and the Emiratis haven't managed to win their war for seven years. And, and the Saudis share a long border. They're literally on, on the spot there with Yemen and they haven't managed to stop the Houthis. So I guess the question for Joel is, what are the options, whether militarily or this is, like you said, a diplomatic solution? They just have to, uh, you know, buy them off with more money. Yo, you've got this $64,000 question and also to address the two things separately. What should Israel do and what should and are or what do you predict will be the response of the international trade community uh, if this continues and intensifies? I'll do my best. The, the Houthis... When they started attack uh, Israel and later on Israeli interests, especially naval ships, uh, they gradually became from a nuisance, from a headache, uh, to or becoming gradually uh, a strategic threat to Israel. I suggested to several people in several meetings, I was advisor in that uh, issue, to contain, certainly in the beginning, 
I think we're in a different uh, stage right now. I'm not suggesting that Israel should attack, and I'll give you the reasons why not to attack, and perhaps later on uh, the other angle. I think an Israeli independent military action in Yemen is very complicated, not just because of lack of intelligence and operationally very hard to operate, although Israel Navy and Air Force can operate we cannot send Golani, but we can send the Air Force and the Navy. But what are the targets? The Houthis, I've heard just today, I've heard a very uh, good example of, 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 of what the Houthis are. It's, it's like you are fighting a fog. It, they're very hard to track. It's very hard to find uh, attractive, valuable targets inside uh, Yemen. This is a militia. Uh, it's very hard to, uh, to deter them. As, as, you, as you mentioned, they fought the Saudis and Emiratis with American assistance for seven years. Uh, they have an experience of fighting against stronger forces than they are. And I'll say more than that. It's so hard to deter them that uh, you have an armada right now off the coast of Yemen. An armada of U.S., French, British, Australian, and, and Saudi, and much more. A lot of vessels surrounding Yemen, trying to deter Yemen, trying to link Iran uh, to Yemen. And I'll tell you more, in the last two, three weeks, someone is attacking the Houthis. There are explosions, uh, all kinds of explosions uh, taking inside of Yemen. I won't tell you who it is, uh, but someone is attacking the Houthis. And it's not helping. It's not deterring them. They're actually escalating. So it's very hard. There's, there's I guess, a mixture of of things that you can try to do, but there's no no one, uh, you know, uh, magic thing that you can do that will solve the problem or the dilemma. A few things that you can do is try to link Iran to it, uh, try to bash Iran in the international media. It might also help Iran in other ways, but, but you can also link countries like China, who expert a lot, ships and, and, and cargo ships, especially exporting, not importing, especially exporting, are going through Babel Mandeb. And if China interest did not suffer until now, they might suffer uh, because perhaps one of the ships that linked to China uh, is going to be attacked. China doesn't have influence directly on the Houthis, but they have some influence on Iran. So this is another thing. Another thing that we can do is uh, try to pressure the U.S. to get the Houthis back on the terror list. Perhaps the first thing that the Biden administration did when it came into office is to take the Houthis off the terror list that the State Department issue every year. They did it because of their negotiation with Iran. And they're still hesitating uh, uh, of doing that. They didn't do that so far, I guess, because they look at the bigger picture and they look at Iran and, and they want to leave some leverage uh, on Iran. This is another thing that the Americans can do, and there's others that I won't, I don't want to uh, publicly uh, say. Just as a final question to both of you, if this behavior by the Houthis continues and escalates, do you see any alternative to um, the West, to the sh uh, countries that these ships uh, belong to, doing more than just placing vessels in the Gulf? Do you see an active entrance into a conflict by them? Even if 
uh, International Coalition uh, places 20 destroyers there, and they have about 10 destroyers or 7 to 10 destroyers there all over. Uh, it's the shipping firms themselves. It's their decision. Um, insurance rates are going up, and they're worried about ships being hit. And currently, they're on halt. So unless they get really content, they're content with coalition forces there, and they they feel safe enough. They're not going to turn shipping through the through the straits. And obviously, global trade has to continue. They're going to have to go around um, Africa for that, and that's a that's a huge headache, and obviously um, expensive and uh, delays and everything. Um, I don't really know what the options are right now. Yo, do you think political pressure inside the countries that will be, you know, strongly affected economically by blocking this uh, this strait, that it's just so inevitable that these countries are going to have to get more actively involved? Or do you think they're just going to continue to put it off as long as they can? Joel, where's, where's Egypt on this? I mean, they're taking a big hit. Yeah, they're taking a big hit. And uh, I, don't, I don't think the Egyptians have a lot of influence. The one that have perhaps the most influence on one side, negative influence is Iran. Positive influence, if we can call it that, is Saudi Arabia. The Saudis are negotiating with the Houthis for the last two years. And they can offer the Houthis a lot of carrots and perhaps persuade them not to continue with what they do. This is something that the Saudis can offer and other Gulf states can offer the Houthis, positive carrots. I think, listen, you talked about the coalition, uh, the naval. There's a naval task force working in the Red Sea since April of 2022, a year and a half, uh, CTF 138, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And uh, they need to strengthen it and, and to bring more countries. And I think this is what the U.S. is doing. I think, and again, I want to emphasize that I think it will be a mistake for Israel to attack alone militarily. There's other ways, tacit ways, perhaps diplomatic ways, even economic ways that you can harm the Houthis. Uh, unilateral military attack, an Israeli one, will be a mistake. Another reason it will be a mistake, because Israel, perhaps for the first time, in this war, and this is a regional war, one needs to understand that. It's not just us against Hamas and Gaza. It's all the region. In, in one uh, dimension, we are being attacked by the Iranian so-called axis. The other side of the coin is that we are part of the coalition led by the U.S. with us and other countries in it. And once you work inside a coalition, let me remind you that the Saudis intercepted a few missiles being shot uh, to Israel. So once you work inside a coalition, you need to take into consideration other parties' uh, sensitivities and interests, for example, the Gulf states' interests. And if Israel unilaterally attack without asking or uh, coordinating with anyone, they might ignite, we might ignite uh, a regional war because the Houthis threaten and they might do it, attack the Saudis again, and then the ceasefire is off and and then you have another war, perhaps, uh, in the region. It's a headache that the Americans don't want. And we should work with the coalition that the Americans are leading and focus on Gaza. Also, attacking Yemen and working in Yemen, you need to understand, if you do it once, then the Houthis respond. And then you have to respond. It's an escalation that is very hard to contain and control. And it might stretch Israel capabilities and attention, military attention. We don't need this headache. It's very, I think, much better. Again, it's not a perfect solution, but it's much better to work with the international community and let the Americans lead this on.
Yeah, well, we've been trying to avoid opening a full-scale front on our northern border. I think you can agree that the last thing we need is for this third front to engage full-scale. That's as much time as we have. Yoel, Avi, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Good to talk to you. Thank you. And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. Thanks to my guests, Abi Sharf and Dr. Yol Guzanski. Thanks to my producer and editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer, and until next week, Shalom from Tel Aviv.